you're in Melbourne. You've been there a few days now. Been busy? <laughs> no, not really. Uh, yeah, I am. Um, no- normally, <laughs> isn't it the way? Normally, if you go to a tournament or especially a Grand Slam, you kind of work your way in. You know, it's of course it's busy, but you work your way in and you can deal if you come to Australia with a jet lag. But working with the BBC out here, the focus heavily on the British players. We have seven, seven British players playing on day one, including Andy Murray, who announces on the Friday when I landed in Perth after my 17 hour flight, sort of switched on my phone thinking, has anything happened that it could possibly probably be his last match? It'll definitely be his last year. So, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, just a little, a little bit busy. But it's amazing, isn't it? You're on a plane with no access to the world, really. And then you switch your phone on. You're like, OK, this has happened. So I'm in Perth and suddenly everyone's talking about Andy Murray in this press conference that he's called and and it's all happening. So it's, um, yeah, I feel like I've been sort of, I feel like I've hit the wall, which is probably a bit early, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the calm before the storm. You're just kind of happily minding your own business on the plane and then you get off and you realise something quite major, possibly one of the biggest things to happen in British tennis, sit, well, since Murray first won Wimbledon, I guess. I mean, it's... Um, I mean, it's a huge deal. Uh, I, I mean, I, I have no idea what it's like to be there. I mean, I've I've been on the British end of it all. I've been in Britain, reading and listening to what everybody's been saying. But uh, I don't know what it was like out there. I imagine the atmosphere was kind of odd at first, a bit somber. It was. Maybe? It was. I so I was in the air when he had the press conference, and landed in Melbourne that night. So met up with friends and colleagues who were just running around with sort of steam coming out of their ears because it was all about Murray and what was happening etc and they said it was very emotional to be in the press conference packed press conference then the day of the match was was quite weird everyone wanted to be there but then everyone was quite sad but then everyone was quite happy and the queues to get into the stadium because it's the Melbourne arena it used to be the Hisense arena is uh, it's not ticketed the queues were incredible. And there was actually, I was sitting next to a couple on the plane who were from Aberdeen. And they were going for a, um, a cruise in Auckland. And they looked at their, their lovely, nice. they looked at their phone in Perth and saw this news. And, was, you know, they were quite shocked. Um, big tennis fans, it turns out. So they decided to change their trips. They could stay in Melbourne and get a ticket and come to the match and see his last match. His wife wasn't completely on board at first, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Is he more he of a fan? He was more of a fan. And it, but I think I, I helped him because I helped convince her that it would be a very good thing to try and be there. So I think by the time we finished the, sort of the second bit of the flight, which was three hours... I think he was almost ready to high five me because I mm. think we'd convinced her that delaying the cruise to go to the tennis would be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it was a major, major thing. If you followed Murray at all, it was a, a big deal. I know so many people saying, um, you know, people who have followed him closely, a lot of the journalists and stuff, saying they had tears and, and all sorts. It's been an emotional time. But I mean, what I loved though about the match is that I mean, just typical Andy Murray, right? <laughs> just fighting and scr- I mean, it was just it was just brilliant. You got the Murray Raw came out. I mean, it was amazing to watch. I was commentating on the Federer match, and 
<laughs> I was uh, watching watching more of Murray's match, I think. Well, that's not true. We had it on in the background, if anyone's listening. I was doing my job, doing it very well. But no, we had it on, um, on, on a different screen. Um, and we were getting updates from there. So, I mean, it looked incredible. It looked absolutely amazing. Were you out, were you out there? Were you sat by the court? Well, no, it's or? weird because we were, our commentary box is based on the Rod Laver Arena, so the, the centre court of Melbourne Park. So in front of us was Federer. On the monitor that we were commentating from was Murray's. We weren't actually on the Melbourne Arena, so it was quite weird. We had Federer, but I probably watched two points of the Federer match. It was so engrossing what was taking place with Andy Murray from from looking at the crowd, the reaction of his his family and friends in the players' box who looked in pain at times and they looked sad at times. And then when the old Murray came out and the raw came out, they were on their feet and they were cheering. There was so much to keep an eye on. It was weird that in front of us was the six-time champion, Roger Federer. And apart from the occasional wow at something that Federer did, it, it, was, all about, it was all about Andy Murray and people who were out there said it was absolutely phenomenal in terms of the atmosphere. But it, it's classic Murray, isn't it? He's not going to give up. He wasn't just going out there to go out there. He fought. He wanted it. And poor old Roberto Bautista Agut, who's a lovely man, <laughs> 22nd seed player in form in one Doha. He was he was the villain of the piece because everybody wanted wanted this fairy tale, wanted this journey to continue. Worried, terrified, fearful that it could be the last time that we see Andy Murray on a tennis court in a professional capacity. It was. Uh, it, it, it was incredible. And I think, you know what, I think by the time it got to the fifth set and you could see that the movement was really, really restricted and just the, the match time wasn't in the legs and Roberto Bautista Agut was pulling away, it didn't really matter about the results. I think if it had been straight mm. sets to the Spaniard, it would have been, oh, that's, it's a slight shame. We didn't see sort of vintage Murray. But with everything he'd done over four hours on the clock, some of the tennis, some of the shot making, I don't think it really mattered. And the other thing, if he had won... Would he actually have been able to play a second round match? I mean, that's why I started thinking after the fourth set. I was like, just, he can't come back in two days and play again. That is ridiculous. But I mean, oh, yeah, it was great and it, it was emotional. And I, you know, I've been a, a little bit emotional about everything. But I mean, it's been a long time coming. It's, it's not a surprise what he's been talking about. I mean, anybody who's seen him walk around the place, anybody who saw him practicing against Djokovic, I mean, I didn't see that, but um, I read what people were uh, were saying about the practice. And, and uh, you know, it, it just, it just, I don't want to say inevitable because he obviously tried everything that he could to get back to his best, but I, it wasn't a surprise. It's still sad, but it's been sad for a while because we've known how major the injury is and we've known that major surgery is probably... Well, probably the only option, and now it is the only option. And but you know what? It sucks for him, and it's sad that his career is ultimate. His career, as we know it, is ultimately over. How it finishes, how many more matches he plays, who knows? But you know, ultimately, when it comes down to it, he has had a very full and very successful career. He's in his early thirties, thirty-two right now, I think. Um, and that is a normal time to stop playing and for the body to break down. And, you know, when you look at you know, Agassi and, and Sampras and most of these players, they're all kind of around that age. Am I right? I feel like I'm kind of guessing with that. <laughs> I don't have actual facts to back that up. It's, I think it's just, it's just a shame that he couldn't do it on his own terms. Because whatever you do, yeah, and, if, but you, you, if you leave off, you could. So when you stop playing tennis, it was your decision. There were other things that were 
coming into that decision, but ultimately you said, right, I have to do this for me. This is the best decision. You just feel a little bit sorry that his his mind is still willing. Everything is still there. He loves everything about it, but the body is saying not a chance because he's in constant pain. Yeah, and I and I totally I totally understand that, and that is definitely a shame. And it would be great for him to be able to finish, and if he could have played a full year through to Wimbledon, finish up at, well, a full half year through to Wimbledon, finish up there it would have been fantastic. But you know, it could be you know, it could be like Del Potro, who's had serious injuries that have dramatically changed the course of his career. And I know this has ultimately ended Andy Murray's career, but he's you know he's thirty two, he's not. 24 and, and dealing with this uh, I suppose that means that it's the end and that you can't come back from it but I, I just think that you know early 30s is a very normal time for players to break down Federer is an, the anomaly because he's everything he's done has been about longevity being selective with tournaments the way that he plays is so efficient his technique is so perfect so there's no excess strain on on body parts through the shots it's all so efficient and he's always said you know you've got to trust your talent and not train as much and something that Andy's been talking about since that maybe he, he, he didn't necessarily say no to a lot of things and he did do too much and um uh, but I mean yeah I mean how do you know at the time I mean you're young you're trying trying your best right so it's it's really difficult you know it's not as if he's been robbed of another big chunk of his career I feel like he's been he's been robbed of the opportunity as you say to to end it the way he wants to and to say goodbye on his own terms um but I, I don't necessarily feel like it's this is particularly early or like a premature sort of finish. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Which is great, which is really positive. I mean, that's amazing to say. He's had a full career and he hasn't been that hampered by injury. He had had that problem with the back, of course, which was pretty major. Um, But other than that, he's actually done incredibly well with a, 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 you know, a very, very brutal game. It was quite interesting. The um, tribute video, I don't know if you've seen it, that the Australian Open put together. Now, it was it was beautifully shot and it featured Novak Djokovic, Rafa Nadal, Roger Federer, Sloane Stevens, Caroline Wozniacki. And they played it. Mark Petchy spoke to him on court afterwards, who was his first coach. And it was kind of, this is it. This is it. And then Andy Murray, one of his answers was like, oh, well, you never know. Maybe I'll come back. And it was almost like, no, 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 you can't now because here is your retirement video. <laughs> the and montage. It wasn't a, but, it, but it wasn't a sort of your Australian open memories reaching the five finals. It was great. Goodbye. It's a little bit. Imagine if you're leaving a job and everyone's done like a collection. Say you were leaving tennis. It's not a big collection because there's not many of us involved. But we, we send get five pounds. We, we send. I think that's quite generous. We send the envelope round, and people sort of either say, "Oh, gosh, I haven't got any change," or they just slip in a couple of coins, or all this kind of thing. And you get a card, and people think about it, and there's a big kind of da 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 da. And then the next week, you're like. I'm back. And everyone's like, well, can I have my money back? I can't believe I put money into your present. It felt a little bit like they were saying, okay, this, no, 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 you are retiring because this is your video. And and they, they were also desperately trying to make him cry. <laughs> and he was holding it together. He said, I'm not going to cry. I think I'm going to be fine. There, there were tears shed, obviously, in that press conference. And I think the big thing about that press conference was when you say something, it doesn't matter what it is, when you say it out loud, it becomes real. You can think about it, you can talk about it sort of with few close people. But when you, like he did, announce it to the world, then suddenly it's very, very real. So there were tears then, but but on court, I think partly he was so exhausted. But yeah, there was a little bit of talk about, as I say, it was a a beautiful video, but it was kind of like, bye. (laughs) And there he was saying, well, I might have this opportunity. I mean, I've spoken to a few people out here 
and um, the, the, the general consensus seems to be that he will have another operation fairly soon. He did say the problem with the operation is I might never play again. There's no guarantee that I could even play again. But the, the feeling seems to be that he will undergo surgery again fairly soon and look to try and get to Wimbledon. I mean, that's that's the that's the romantic finish, isn't it? That's the that's the dream finish. Andy Murray plays. Um, Andy Roddick has suggested that maybe he'll play doubles with Jamie at Wimbledon. And that would be a, a fitting finish. Nice. So it's, it, yes. It's, 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 it's going to be interesting the next few days. He said he's going to make a decision in the next week. So maybe he's made the decision by the time people are listening to this about what he does. But it, uh, it, it must be tough, as you know, and I know he's a lot further on in terms of age-wise. But you are a long time retired. Although you could say, okay, in your 30s, that's a good career and you're getting on a bit for a tennis player. There's still an awful lot of life the other side. And not that he has to most of it to pay the bills. But in terms of <laughs> yeah. in terms of keeping himself busy and all these kind of things, there's a, there's a lot the other side of tennis. You know, I, yeah. I imagine, I, I don't imagine you had a massive entourage, but if you're used to traveling with <laughs> this, this huge entourage, so look after everything and just make everything work and look after you, then suddenly, I'm not saying they go from one day to the next, but when you say, right, it's over and I'm not doing it anymore, it's, it must be quite a weird feeling. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's, 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 it's just heartbreaking. I mean, it's, I don't really know how to compare it to something, but I mean, it's your life. It, you, there's no separation between you and, and tennis because you are tennis. It's been a, an entire part of your life. And when I stopped playing, I spent some time trying to figure out who I was away from tennis and what am I without tennis? Because I've only ever known, I've played it since I was four, and I've played it, you know, multiple times a week, and then every day. And it's been it's been everything about me. All my friends were in tennis, everything at all. And I kind of always had that crutch of everybody that I spoke to within the world of tennis kind of knew me and knew what I'd done. So everybody had a perception, and the perception of me was kind of quite okay. So that was <laughs> kind of comfortable. Well, I think it was okay. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Um, and so I deliberately took myself out of it and I, I, I went and joined a netball team and I'd never, I didn't tell them anything about what I did. I just said I was a tennis coach at the club or whatever. So I didn't tell them anything. Uh, and I thought, I need to try and figure out who I am just away, away from tennis. I have to take this out of my life because I don't know who I am. And, and I did that for a, a while, probably a couple of years. And actually, all I figured out was you can't unpick it. It's too complicated. It's too interwoven. It's just in your DNA. It's everything about your life and how you, you've grown up. And, and actually, I realized that I like myself an awful lot more when I am involved in tennis and around tennis because it's my passion. And actually, when you take my passion away, I become a different person. So the netball girls, about, <laughs> I don't know, a couple of months in, I think I said something at one of the changes of it, changes of ends. Change, oh, see, exactly. I can't even get out of the tennis terminology. At the change of ends, I'm sitting there eating my banana, towel over my head, what, whatever. But... Um, <laughs> At the end of a quarter, <laughs> do you even yeah, know the rules? Do, we, do you even know the rules of netball? I yeah, feel I you're doing, bouncing the ball. You're doing, yeah, you're doing netball a disservice. Here. <laughs> you oh, with I your mean, towel over your head, ignoring your teammates, haven't wanting a change of well, ends. It is a change of ends, isn't it? No, um, no. So I spoke to my team. I, I said something. That I suggestion, whatever. Anyway, I was getting involved. I said something, and everyone just looked at me. Looked at me. And was like, 
oh my god you spoke <laughs> and I thought <laughs> excuse me and they said uh, well you're you're really shy and I was looking at everyone thinking is this what people think and everyone thought I was shy and then I came home and I was like I've never been called shy in my life I just it's not so a thing that people would associate with me joined a netball team and didn't speak <laughs> no I did Brilliant. speak I did <laughs> I did speak. <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine a silent version of you because even when we were getting to know each other, I think I, I've said this. I was a little bit, a little bit scared of you. I'm not sure why. But oh, a little bit, come on a, now. I was a little bit scared, but I never, I never thought you were shy. Did I ever think you were shy? You ever that quiet? I've never been shy in my life, apart from on this netball team. But again, I'm in the world of tennis. I'm in my comfort zone. It's what I know. And also it's what I'm passionate about and I'm opinionated about. So whatever anyone's talking about within the world of tennis, I have something to say and something I want to say. So, yeah, I I don't know. It's it's kind of an odd one. And I did that and I just realised that actually, well, I I enjoyed playing netball. I carried on playing netball, but I just realised that... I don't need to know who I am without tennis. Tennis can be a part of my life for the rest of my life because I want it to be. It's my absolute passion and and I don't need to. It's kind of weird when it ends because you kind of feel like there's nothing else. But I mean, Andy's such a passionate guy. I mean, he's so he's involved in so many things, whether it's mentoring or coaching, you know, whatever it may be. I don't know what he's going to end up doing. I'm definitely mentoring with his management company and that sort of thing. He's always been just a spontaneous mentor of, of youngsters anyway. So he'll do something like that. It'll be great. I don't, know whether, I don't know whether this makes it harder or easier for him, but he's got no sense of anonymity. I mean, he's known around the world, so he can't just join a netball team and they'll say, hello, what, <laughs> what do you do? It might be weird anyway, but if he, sort of, if he rocks up, they'll be like, are you? No. It's it. So I, but I don't know whether that makes it easier because he'll have more options in terms of doors and anything he wants to probably can or whether it's going to make it harder because he can't really be anonymous he can't sort of just appear and try and try and do something else but as you say I can see him he's got the the management company I I'm not sure if I can see him doing a lot of commentating I'm not sure if he I'm not sure if his hip would be able to stay in one place for for epic matches can you imagine I got the feeling he didn't really like it that much when he did it at Wimbledon. He did a very good job, and it's fascinating. Everybody's going to want to know what he has to say, but I, I didn't get the feeling that he, he loved it. It's, it, it might just be because it was the first time he'd really done that, and he ended up with a really, really long match. And the amount of times I've worked <laughs> oh, with <yeah. laughs> former players, either tennis or football footballers, and we've been sat down for a long time, when they try and get up at the end, <laughs> honestly, I'm like, wow, there's there's some that can't move because of knee problems or hip problems from, from playing the sport that they've loved for years and years. But they'll at the end, they're like, I, I can't move. And you're like, wow, okay, so it would, that might be another thing you might have to consider, but... The, the options are open. He can do absolutely whatever he wants to do, he will be able to do. But you just have to think, if that was his last match, that, that five-set defeat to Roberto, if it was, what a way for it to end. That is, and he, I mm. guess maybe he also has to think about that. If he comes back at Wimbledon and he's still in a lot of pain or maybe he hasn't had the operation, does that want to be the last memory or is it the Australia? It, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how that sort of unfolds over the next, well, maybe few days, if he's going to make a decision. Yeah. But I think everyone would love to see the the Wimbledon send up.
And I've noticed that, uh, I don't know if this is for me, but you're wearing your Christmas jumper. (laughs) (laughs) Did you notice? (laughs) I can see the sequence. (laughs) This is Naomi's dog with a party hat on. Yeah. Which which feels weird. My birthday jumper. He, He looks like he's celebrating a birthday. So it's somebody's birthday today. So there we go, we're celebrating. That feels weird to me because where I am, it's 36 degrees. People aren't wearing a lot of clothes. I'd still be wearing it, to be honest. A lot of people are already sunburnt since they've only been here a couple of days. I'd also be sunburnt. And I can see you there in your sort of Christmas jumper. Because we're working, this is quite weird because I'm, it's morning time with me. So I'm thinking about breakfast and starting the day. But Mm. you, because you're covering it from back in the UK, you're at the opposite end of things. Yes, well, well, I am, but I'm still covering Australia because I'm on Australian time, but just so I'm just not really seeing much daylight. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> so is, is everything a little moment. bit everything a little bit surreal? Uh, yeah, no, it's been going. It's been going great. Really enjoying it, and we're just looking at glorious sunshine all the time. So it kind of brightens you up. Yeah, I, to be honest, I largely look at glorious sunshine because I'm inside. So I, I've had to remember whatever the weather looks like to take a big jumper and a scarf with me because at some point my teeth will be chattering oh is it really in cold the radio room we have a little booth there and the commentary box it's absolutely freezing so you walk into work and then sweat is pouring off you and you just think this is this is crazy and then you go inside and you, you your teeth start chattering and you think this is ridiculous and then you sort of layer up with your jumper uh, i have to say though the the facilities they've upgraded again the player facilities here and people may have seen some social media messages about people saying wow it's amazing it's incredible to be a player here they have basically they have the whole of the underneath of the Rod Laver Arena the main court here they have a restaurant on two levels they have childcare facilities that are beyond anything I mean every everything's been done for the players here it is and and we're quite lucky because our commentary box is within the Rod Laver arena we have to have access to walk through the stadium uh, and through mm-hmm. past like the locker room and past all the bits and pieces I've got lost a couple of times because because there's been a lot of changes but it's amazing because so you can just so you so the other day I walked to the commentary box and there was there was Andy Murray just walking out to do press with his teeth chattering because I think he'd just come out of the ice bath and then there's Roger Federer walking the other way and you see the players chatting. And the other day Stefanos Sitsipas's father Apostolos burst out of the men's locker room as I was just walking to the commentary box and said, "Can you tell me where court 16 is?" And I thought I can't even make my way to the commentary box. <laughs> I said no. I, <laughs> I said no. I'm very sorry. Uh, he did find it in the end, but it's 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 very lucky to have that access. I mean, you're only really passing through, but as you're passing through, there's Dominic Team doing his his warm up, or there's Simona Halep chatting with her mother, and it's it's just it's just quite nice when you're at a tournament just to get those little glimpses. And Marion yeah. Bartley was was having a laugh with Joe Wilfred Songer as they passed each other because it is. It's just this area where they are moving around. And it, no, it's, uh, that's been quite nice. I haven't seen any koalas yet. Not that I'd expect to find them down there. But um, oh. there, have been no, there have been no koalas yet. I, I have a feeling that's for a, that's for a later part. One thing I did want to speak to you about is cramp. Now, okay. not, that I, not that I've had cramp, but I You've was... you never had it? No, I had... Yeah, well, no, I've had it, but not, not recently. This is not like a sort of... 
that's actually marathon what I'm, running days. Need, <laughs> yes, having been a marathon runner. That <laughs> <laughs> I spoke to someone who'd listened to one of our to that podcast, and they said, "I didn't know you were a marathon runner." I thought this is getting out of control. Nice. I ran one very oh, slowly, but the most- I was watching Kane Shikuri was taking on a Polish qualifier. Camille Matashrak, who had never faced a player in the top 50. Oh, is that how you say it? Before. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> that, might not be, that might not be how you say it. <laughs> I, just, I thought, just saw a, a, bunch of, a bunch of consonants with not a lot of vowels in there and, and um, was just quite glad I wasn't on that match. <laughs> well, I was going to quite happily ignore that match. But when Kane Ishikuri the world number nine in the eighth seed suddenly went down by two sets to love. It became something I had to talk about. And I was thinking, so a couple of times I just said, he's trailing the Polish qualifier. And I thought, I've actually got to give him a name. So that, that, that might not be how you say it. So the Polish qualifier, he's, he's two sets up and he's playing really good tennis and he's beating Kane Ishikori. And you're thinking, hang on a second, this is huge. Then the Poles body says... I can't do this. He had cramp from head to toe. He had such severe mm. cramp in his in his right arm and his right hand that it was almost frozen and he couldn't hold the racket. Both of his legs were gone and he couldn't move. I, it, it was really painful and difficult to see, but bless him. And he didn't know the rules. He didn't know exactly what he could have treatment for or who he could see or could he have a break. And so all this was going on, but he had a two sets to lead, love lead over the world number nine. So he kept going kept going he lost the third set six love he kept going he's gonna keep going the fourth set i think he lost it six two he kept, it was at three love down in the fifth <laughs> when when he realized the game was up and and he, <laughs> <laughs> and he couldn't do it but what i mean is it and i was speaking to leon smith a little bit later and talking about the cramp and he said but a, a lot of cramp is it can be in the mind and if you start getting tense it gets worse and you can actually deal with cramp I mean I, I don't know your view on mm. it or experiences of having had it but I imagine if you're in this new experience against a top player and suddenly your body seizes up it, it's very difficult to say just relax and everything's going to be fine yeah it, it's yeah it, it, Leon's right it's just it's a lot easier said than done particularly in that sort of situation um, but yeah ultimately any cramp that you get um, you just have to try and not react. You just have to try and breathe. I mean, it's excruciating pain. Any anybody who's cramped in the middle of the night, like my calf, sometimes cramp in the middle of the night, and I wake up. It's very hard not to scream and to kind of let it all out. But that just makes you cramp even more. It just makes you grip it. So um, the two quickest ways, really, to get rid of cramp are. Well, just to breathe and stay loose. People try punching it. That's a, that's a strong technique. You just hit <laughs> it. But I don't think that works because surely that just makes the muscle more tense. But I've, I was cramping in my foot once and somebody just came over and just started punching the bottom of my foot. Really? <laughs> and I was in so much pain, I couldn't really talk. I was just trying to concentrate on breathing because you, you are just trying to breathe and just <laughs> see it out. You know it's going to pass at some point. And somebody's just, when I say punching, absolutely nailing my foot the bottom. <laughs> of my foot it was bruised for weeks because they were trying to release the muscle and I was trying to say like, I don't think you're making it worse massage you couldn't you have just ma- couldn't you just massage the foot instead of walloping the foot does massage help well I don't know I've never tried massage people also do stretching 
But again, I just think the best thing to do is just to be as loose as possible. And you can you can actually release the cramp really quickly um, and just breathe and it will be fine. But then if you move again, it will cramp again. So you have to kind of wait for quite a while until it's passed. <laughs> it's so, really annoying so and you can feel it coming. You're like, I'm about to cramp, I'm about to cramp. Ah! God, I'm cramping. But it was yeah, to the point where his, his 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 right hand was frozen. It was yeah. it was it, it was frozen, and he didn't want to. And he was looking over at his box, and and they were looking. It's almost a bit annoyed at him. It's like this is your fault, and and and, and he looked at them as if to say, "Look, I can't do this. I'm going to stop." And they were like, "You're not going to stop. You're just going to stay out there." He couldn't lift off on the surf. I mean, he he couldn't he couldn't move his legs. It, it was just, and he. And he'd been playing so, so well. And Kei Nishikori, I love Kei, no expression, <laughs> just nothing. He was just down the other end. Inside, he must have been dancing with delight because he was going yeah. out. If well, he'd kept playing as he was the qualifier, Nishikori was going out. And then due to the fact that his body said, I can't. And I guess, what, does it come down to the fact that he's not used to being in these situations playing a best of five set match? Yeah, and, and unfortunately, that's kind of always the answer for a coach. It's the same if I was a coach. If a player's cramping, it's their fault. Um, <gasps> they may not necessarily... because Well, because it's all in preparation. If you've then, trained hard aren't enough. You responsible, but aren't you responsible for the preparation being the coach? Because couldn't... No. If you're being employed to be the coach to train the player, can I turn around and say, Naomi, you didn't train me properly enough, you didn't prepare me for these conditions and cramp? Yeah, but I can't be sitting there making sure that you drink your bottle of water and your electrolytes and everything. You know, you can't baby players. You can't You can't be completely in charge of everything that they do in terms of food and drink and hydration and glucose tablets and whatever else and then expect them to go on to court to do one of the, you know, everyone talks about how much it's such a gladiatorial sport by themselves in the arena and expect them to figure things out for themselves you've got to let them work it out and that's the thing as a coach you've got to let players make the mistakes and cramp and go did you drink your electrolytes how, how much water have you drunk today most of the time especially when they're young they'll turn around and say oh I haven't drunk anything, I haven't drunk anything. <laughs> so it is it is 38 degrees and they're like oh I just thought I'd just drink in the match it, it happens I mean look it's happened to Murray it happened to Djokovic it happens to everybody and you learn what works for you and then you're fine. You kind of have to go through it, unfortunately. And it's it's awful. To, it's awful to watch, but it does have. I mean, coaches and teams do have the attitude of, "Well, it's your fault," or or they'll be sitting there. And if there's somebody young who's not maybe not been in the experience, like this Polish qualifier, what's his name? How do you say it? Oh, Kamil Maszczak. Maszczak. Okay, so that's not the definitive pronunciation. <laughs> He's clearly not used to the situation, playing best of five sets, playing against Nishikori. He's clearly playing out of his mind, whatever, it's hot. So you're either sitting there saying, yep, that's your fault, you didn't prepare properly, or you're sitting there going, this will be a good lesson to learn. So either way, as a coach, kind of absolve yourself from responsibility. Why not? Coaches are very good at that. (laughs) It wasn't me. It had nothing to do with me. This is your responsibility. (laughs) You see, and I thought if I was the player, I would point the finger a little bit at the coach and say but you're in charge of preparing me right Ooh, if i was paying dangerous if I, game. <laughs> if I was if i was paying you, you it's out a coach's of my, job out of, to make sure you're hydrated <clears throat> yes because if i was it's like employing if i employ um a personal trainer it's their job to make me 
do the exercises and do this and push me. So I would think if I was working hard in 38 degree heat to earn prize money that I'm going to give largely to you, <laughs> then I would, yes, I think I, I'd, I'd apportion a little, a little bit of the blame. But then what if the coach says to you, and you've gone through it all, all, all your preparations, you've gone through it. And he says, right, you know, before your match, when you wake up in the morning, you've got to drink a litre before you get to breakfast. And you've got to drink this and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And then you don't do any of it. Who's fault oh, then it, then it then it's my fault. Well, that's normally what happens, then, particularly then for my fault. I'm not saying this is what happens to what happened to uh, Polish I wouldn't qualifier. make you physically hold the bottle and pour it into my mouth. I think that would be going. But above you and have beyond. to do that sometimes. <laughs> but you have to do that with young players because they don't understand. And then you then you kind of have to sit back and go, great, we're going to watch you cramp for a while. This is <laughs> this is going to be fun. But I tell you what, <laughs> you're going to learn. Oh, I, I, I've seen just, like the foot, the full body cramps are. Um, it's actually pretty awful to to watch I mean look I've had cramp lots of times never severely it's never caused me to have to pull out of a match it's never actually caused me to not be able to play properly in a match I normally get in like in the middle of the night and again it's hydration or lack of salt it's it's always my own fault and I always look back on the day and go I probably have not drunk anywhere near enough so it's interesting in these hot conditions because we've now got this monitor in the press room and it's a heat scale and once it gets to, I think it's five, play would be suspended. But there's all different things on, uh, sort of there's, there's one, two, three, four, five. And depending where it is, it's take precautions, stay hydrated, do this, etc. Just to sort of keep people on, on where it is. And speaking to a couple of former players, Joe Krabus and, and Kim Kleisters, they, they were saying to me, oh, I hate this heat. And I was like, what do you mean you, you hate this heat? You played in this heat. And they said, I don't know the same for you, they said, when I was playing, I loved playing in really hot weather. But now I hate it, which to me sounds completely absurd. <laughs> I, I, would like, I would like cooler conditions when I was playing and I'd like nice hot weather when I'm not playing. But they said it's a, it's a crazy thing that they loved the really hot conditions when they were playing. Yeah, you definitely like it on the warmer side because... It, you do just kind of tune your body to it. Once you've made all of the mistakes as a youngster and your coaches have <laughs> laughed at you, you do kind of get your body in tune with it. And it's really tough to play when it's cold. It's hard to get the blood flowing. You don't feel right. You feel stiff. It's, contact doesn't feel great. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I mean, look, I'm, I, I sometimes look at myself and wonder how on earth I managed a, a life on tour just following the sun. I'm very fair, freckly, ginger <laughs> hair. It's... Um, <laughs> And I burn really easily. But when I was playing, I didn't burn that much. I mean, I, I, of course, always wore cream and stuff, but you sweat an awful lot. I mean, it's gone very quickly. And you can't just keep reapplying in a match. You can't, it's just impossible to do that. I mean, unless, well, we've talked about this before, unless you have a sun cream applier with you who can just kind of <laughs> rub it all on at the change of ends. <laughs> yeah, you do, you do really get used to it. And actually, what's funny is when it's really hot, I played in one Australia where it was ridiculous, like mid-40s bonkers that was when they had kind of iv drips sharapova said she was hallucinating at one point or something i don't know you know they cooked an egg on the they do that every year don't they to be honest they do it on the cook an egg on the court and um wozniaki's bottle melted oh yeah it was a great one uh, my shoes were sticking to the court that was the one we talked about so that was a great one that was really really intense and i still i won a match and i still felt all right out there even with me you know <laughs> with how i'm not really built for the sun <laughs> And actually, the hardest bit when you're playing in that ridiculous heat is when you sit down at the change of ends. It's, it's the worst bit. I mean, you're desperate for a bit of shade. And I mean, if the ball kid's slow with getting the, the shade up, 
you're just kind of like, come on, man, <laughs> just, <laughs> just need some shade on my head. I need some relief because you're just, you know, the court's reflecting the heat. It's also absorbing the heat at the same time. It's madness. But like, yeah, you, you get to the change of ends and you sit down and it's nice to get a bit of shade, but it's so stuffy and stifling. It's, I mean, the actual temperature is worse on the court, but I would much rather be on the court playing in 43 degrees than be the coach sitting in the stands in 43 degrees. It's definitely worse to sit in it. Yeah, I have to say, we, we haven't hit those heights. And the thing about Melbourne, as you know, you can go from 38 degrees one day to 20 degrees the next day. I think it was Naomi Osaka who said ahead of the tournament, why did no one tell me I needed a jacket? <laughs> it's actually quite cold here. And that that's the that's the sort of madness of Melbourne. They've For the spectators, there's a, there's a lot more shaded areas this year. And they've also got those huge industrial fans that oh, when they're on... Them. And they have the sort of water sprinklers that sort of blow the water and the sprinklers onto people. And there's a they have a they have a tunnel of of spray, a tunnel of spray, if that's a thing. And you walk a mist, mist, mist a mist tunnel. And you, I haven't done it yet, but you walk through it and it just sort of covers you in mist as you go from one end oh, to the other. Oh, do it. It's the best thing ever. Those fans where they just kind of put a little jet of water out the front and it sprays these mega Megatron fans and it sprays the water out. I mean, I once had a bad reaction to some sun cream I used out there. Actually, that was the last time I was there. And I had a bad reaction and my face got really swollen and my skin was really tight. And it was very, very red, very sore. It was really horrible. And I was also like a bit sunburnt and I also had to sit and watch matches in really... I was coaching at the time, so I had to sit and watch matches. <laughs> it was really hot. Uh, and I honestly, I just spent an hour just standing there, just leaning my face into this fan. <laughs> this just mist was coming over my face. It was the only relief I could get. Um, they are amazing. Definitely go through the mist tunnel. No, the, but the mist tunnel, actually, you come out wet you, you don't just oh. not sort of you because it, it's a tunnel it's a little bit damp no but it's a tunnel it's a mist tunnel so by the time you've gone through and there's quite a lot of people so you can't go through it quickly because there's actually a queue to go through the tunnel so you're walking through this mist and people are coming out wet and I don't think because I'm obviously here working I can't sort of go back into the radio room the commentary box is wet. there seriously hang on there's seriously <laughs> a queue for the mist tunnel absolutely not, they're not marketing it as like a, a fairground ride or something like there's, there's a queue people a because <laughs> <laughs> buy your tickets <laughs> they but they could do because it's it's one of the most popular places. I didn't know where it was. I'd seen a couple of videos. I went to find it. And you've got lots of children sort of running in and out and going backwards and forwards. But people are queuing very patiently to go into the mist tunnel because they are so hot and they just want a little bit of relief. But so I, I haven't done it because as a, because then the problem with me is I'm then going into a room where it might be there's air conditioning blasting out and it might be five degrees. So if I go from mm. 40 degrees to mist tunnel to wet to five degrees i don't think that's, that's very not good. a good combo that's not good no. so there's the only way so home I've, maybe so may, but no well nor i average time i'm on my way home is midnight mm. so maybe not a time for the mist tunnel which is switched off at that oh. point oh i was gonna oh. say is it even on then no it goes off when everyone leaves. It's just for it's, it's it's just for spectators to cool them down. But they're they're very good here at handing out sun cream when you go in. Normally, you know, little free gifts that you get at Grand Slams. And so far, it's been sun cream. Just bottles and bottles and bottles of sun cream as people yeah, go in. Yeah, they're good with that. Yeah, they're really. I, I've already got sunburnt. 
because obviously I've I've come over from from England. I'm very pale, and I see sun. I go, yay, sun, and just a bit stupid. And I think I was watching. <laughs> <laughs> I try to remember when I got sunburned. I think it was watching Sitsipas, Stefano Sitsipas's first match, and I was only there for possibly twenty minutes in a in a break I had, mm. and I've got a a burnt left forearm and a red nose. So it's, you know, it's always a bit. So, but but a little bit like the cramping, I've learnt my lesson and I'm going to take the free sun cream. There you go. And can I just say, there's, there's something I haven't talked about on the podcast that you told me I couldn't talk about and I haven't talked about. Oh, good. Good work. I haven't done it. I'm not going to talk about it. Primarily because I was trying I to trick you into it. A little bit. Not in this podcast, but we were talking about Harriet Dart, who's a good friend of mine. She played Sharapova in the first round. And I was I was telling you how obsessed she is with food and healthy eating and snacks. So I thought that you know, might might get you to, to crack. No, but the reason I haven't talked about them is because there haven't been any. It's it's Oh it's, no, why? Someone's scandalous. Them. So Peter Mercato in the next room. Well, I can hear Peter through the wall. I can uh, hear Peter and I'm in Britain. (laughs) (laughs) No, there haven't haven't been any. So it's sort of, it's almost a little bit too painful to speak about (laughs) the fact that it's sort of one o'clock in the morning and there's there's nothing to find. But I'll work on that. I'll work on that for for the next podcast. I need to find a koala. Okay, that'd be nice. I've never, I've never hung out with a koala. I never did the animal thing. Why not? Melbourne. I don't know why. I don't know why. It's an obvious thing to do. Hold an animal. It is an obvious thing to do. <laughs> I mean, I've seen kangaroos like bowling around at the side of the road. But, I mean, not in Melbourne. <laughs> this, we, we were Just always outside worried. of the, the hotel. <laughs> we were always worried that this podcast could to descend into delirium with Naomi having probably not slept in around 24 hours with your shift pattern my jet lag probably still hanging around for a bit and I think koalas bowling around on the roadside in Melbourne could be it no it? kangaroos oh kangaroos, kangaroos. sorry <laughs> <laughs> no when I did the tour the the challenger tour of Australia and you go to kind of the smaller towns and some that are smaller than towns even. Um, yeah, there's just kind of kangaroos hanging out. But no, I never did the animal thing because you know that, yeah, well, you know how, what you're talking about. They bring them to the site, don't they? And everybody gets a little cuddle and a picture. It's great. I've got a good picture of my brother with a koala. He looks, I mean, I've never seen my brother look so happy. Genuinely. <laughs> it's the happiest picture I have of him. <laughs> I, I took a selfie with a koala called Mozart last year. Mozart. Lovely, yeah, sophisticated but, koala. But they also brought out. You've got the cuddly, cuddly, cuddly things. They also had reptiles. They had a snake. They had a crocodile. They had something else, and I wasn't going anywhere near those. Which one's the worst for you? A snake. Yeah, snakes just miss something about. Sna- I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not necessarily scared of anything. I would kind of, I'd, I'd, I'd hold it. You'd let I them, wouldn't be freaking out or anything. You'd let them drape it around your neck. Yeah, no, I'd do. I'd do all of that, and I'd be. I'd be fine with it. But I just don't particularly like them. Mm. Crocodile, I'd be slightly more wary of. I do think but I'd probably they, just um, pick it up. It's a baby one. Sorry. It's yeah. It's they they put sellotape around its its jaws, its mouth. 
it's quite weird. The first time I wondered why it wasn't snapping, because they sellotape it together, which is... Yeah, why yeah. hasn't it bitten my hand off yet? How bizarre. Uh, yeah, be- because it's got some sellotape on it. It's, it's yeah, a, but you know, I it's kind a- of... I kind of always feel like, but if it really wanted to eat me, I'm pretty sure it could, it would, it would snap out of the sellotape. But do you know how big you are compared to it? Well, no, but this is it. Is it? It's a baby crocodile, isn't it? It's not. Yeah, they're not, not a full they're not, on. They're not bringing a seven foot hungry crocodile into Melbourne Park, are they? Well, I don't. I mean. You know, they, they do some interesting things. <laughs> I don't know. There's, inter- there's interesting and there's dangerous. <laughs> it's, 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 there's a longer queue for the koala. <laughs> yeah. The mist tunnel and the koala, very popular. These six-foot crocodile <laughs> who doesn't have his jaws sellotaped <laughs> together. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, no one wants to have a cuddle with Fred or whatever it may be called. <laughs> Aww, poor thing. So I think that normally happens for the media in the second week. So we are right, middle. Okay. We're the beginning of the, what are we? We're beginning of, I'm the beginning of day three. Is that right? Yes. So mm-hmm. I'll... Well, so am I. I'll, <laughs> we are talking to each other at the same time. <laughs> yes. But you're not on day three. You're still on day two physically, aren't you? Yeah, but I'm about to start commentating on day three. I'm, look, I'm, I'm watching people warm up on court 10 as we speak. Are you? I don't know who that who? is. So I've got, I've got a lefty. Oh, no, he's not a player. The guy he's hitting with is a player. <laughs> this, is Naomi his this is Naomi Cavaday's commentary. It's like the director's cut of your commentary. <laughs> well, I just watched his backhand and I can categorically tell you he's not a player. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit harsh. <laughs> Poor guy. Can't wait until he walks out on my court in about half an hour. <laughs> I, was say, I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that to be your, your first match. So you're, oh, but you're... Oh, I know this guy's backhand's rubbish. So you're getting underway. <laughs> you're getting underway at the start of play. Yeah, I'm getting underway a little bit. Anything for you so far? We should, anything that stood out for you? Anything you want to mention? Because these two three weeks, we can be really Tennessee. We can be Tennessee. What a, what a luxury! God, how boring of us. What has actually stood out is how. Now this is going to sound bad. I've very much enjoyed watching Australian Open, but it, it's been unremarkable with the exception of the Murray match, only in terms of like, I mean, no big names have gone out. I mean, the Opelka isn't a match. I got seriously excited about that and it was great. Of course, <laughs> four tie breaks, Opelka B isn't amazing. Watch out for that guy. I'm telling you, you want to go and see him. But yeah, just no huge upsets, really. I thought it was kind of a surprise how Kazakina went out quite quickly. But I mean, there's been no... I mean, normally by, you know, two days in, we've had a, a Halep or a Zverev or, a, you know, something reasonably mega has happened. Yeah, we've had a, a very sharp looking Sharapova, unfortunately, at the expense of Harriet Dart. We've had a very sharp looking Serena Williams, who took 49 minutes to defeat her, her neighbour, has play dates with the children, Tatiana Maria. Yeah. Simona Halep, I thought, hugely impressive against Kai Kanepi, who beat her in the first round of the US Open. And when Kanepi's on, it's it's frightening. I thought that was... Yeah, I thought that, that was could have a, been a massive... I thought that was going to be an upset, actually. Yeah. I didn't think Halep was going to get through that. That was a that was a really good win. As you say, Zverev came through against Bedenay. There was maybe one or two games and they were quite tight. There was a couple of breaks, but he looked comfortable. No, you're right. Roger Federer's yeah. looked good so far. It's all been sort of 
quite yeah, straightforward. I mean, there have been a couple of seeds go out, but I mean, Isner's the highest one. He's a top tenner and he's gone out, but it's, yeah, I mean, that, that's it's kind of about it. I mean, normally we, we get, you know, at least, we normally get somebody who could win it go out in the first round of a slam. You know what I realised? And I realised this up in the plane and there was nothing I could do about it because I couldn't get hold of you. You had told me that you were going to give me your predictions before the tournament started. And then I remember being at sort of 15 hours into my 17-hour flight watching some nonsense on the TV thinking, I never got the predictions. So I think I saw your ATP Tennis Radio predictions. You've gone for... Who have you got? Djokovic? Djokovic, yeah. Djokovic. You're, but you didn't give me a woman. So have you. Yes, I have. And, and did you go for Kerber? Yes, I did. Now, I'm going to be honest. I would actually like to change my mind on what I decided at the beginning of the tournament. But, but I will but tell you, you what I decided told... at the beginning of the tournament. I was going to say, but you no, never I'm going to tell me, you now. But... Okay. All right. Come on. Bit, bit of trust. Bit of trust, Jeez. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I mean, I'm already out of the running on the ATP radio ATP Tennis Radio predictions because I predicted that Rafa Nadal <laughs> wouldn't win any matches on any surface other than clay. So that's been uh, <laughs> that's been blown out of the water quite quickly. <laughs> Bold and some might say rash. <laughs> <laughs> some might just say utter nonsense. No, uh, in all seriousness, before the tournament started, I took a look at it and my pick was Wozniacki. Right. I now... She looked great. She hasn't done anything that's changed my mind, but I now I'm just kind of changing my mind. I don't really know who I would pick. No, 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 you can't do that. You can't do that. If you're not having Wozniacki, you've got I, to give me a I, name. But I did pick, I did pick Wozniacki uh, before the tournament started, so I'm going to have to stick with that, but I'm... You want to change your mind. You don't know who to change your mind to, so you're not going to change your mind. Was that it? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to change my mind because I did pick her before the tournament started, and now that I've seen everybody play, I kind of... I, I kind of want to pick somebody else, but she's got a, re- a great chance of winning it. Mm, but so, yeah, okay, I've picked her. There you go. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's not that much of an outside pick. She did win it last year. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I'm not going for someone completely random. You sure? You're fine. I just left you to that. You, you felt like you were sort of Sorry, battling I'm, I'm something. Just trying, yeah, you know, I'm just going through my own thought processes here. It, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, we're all okay. It's going to be Djokovic and Wozniacki. I'm. I'm off to have breakfast. As much as a pleasure as it's been, I think I think a good breakfast is needed ahead of a long day. I think the good thing, in terms of work schedule, if we're going to have a meal, it's breakfast. Because obviously play mm. starts at 11 and then we do commentary of the night session. So I'll never have dinner, but if I can have breakfast, that's always a very important meal of the day. So I'm off into the Australian sunshine enjoy. to have some breakfast. Thank you. And enjoy... Well, enjoy the Australian Open from from where you are. Yeah, I'm going to get going. 